There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands that conversation. And I often draw on the meaning and work research I've conducted over the last 15 years, as well as my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but but let me thank my sponsor, Recover Mattress. As an athlete and very active professional myself, I know the importance of good sleep, and Recover Mattress is a hybrid mattress designed specifically to improve sleep for muscle recovery for active lifestyles. You can learn more about the story of how this company was founded and the mattress itself by visiting recovermattress.com. There's no E after the V. And if you decide to buy a mattress, you can enjoy a 50% discount by using the code WOP50, short for working on purpose 50% off thanks to our partnership last week if you missed the show live you can always catch it via recorded podcast we were on the air with dr erica jacoby the executive director of lc global consulting a change growth and innovation consulting firm with offices in new york city and munich germany we talked about her fresh dissertation research on the topic of cognition of innovation now with us this week is Brian Honorio, who is an entrepreneur who is currently the founder and CEO of Proposa, a best-in-class SaaS solution for building stunningly beautiful proposals in half the time. We'll be talking about what it takes to be an entrepreneur today, his own journey of entrepreneurship starting at age 24, and the important lessons he's learned from his work as an entrepreneur. He joins us today from Raleigh, North Carolina. Brian, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hey, thank you for having me, Elise. It's really great to have you, and um, I do want to call out and thank Don Thompson for for bringing you to me. He is somebody who's been on the show a couple of times, and you know I have connected uh, in terms of our, our professional lives and enjoy and appreciate his perspective. So when he introduced me to you, I was delighted, and I can't wait to share this story with our listeners. So you ready? I am indeed. <laughs> okay. Well, the first thing I want to start with is you said in, in our initial call something that I found to be quite arresting. You said... I'd rather work 70 hours for myself than 40 hours for somebody else. So let's start with that. Can you explain that statement and what's behind that for you? You know, I I really think that I heard that statement. That is certainly not an original of mine, but I heard someone else say that. And uh, it really made me think about my own journey as an entrepreneur. And uh, I think for a lot of folks who find themselves in the position of working for themselves or growing a company or scaling a company, that really has to ring true to you. That uh, folks that give up that nine to five corporate job uh, would rather go and work double the amount of time for themselves than just to give that 40 hour standard work uh, week uh, to somebody else. Uh, I think that's something and that's innate to a lot of entrepreneurs and certainly a statement that that really was was true for me and spoke a lot for me. Mm-hmm. And you know what's fascinating about that, Brian, is somebody who works supporting various organizations and working with a lot of executives who are in those corporate organizations, they are working well more than 40 hours. They're working maybe sometimes as many as 70 hours, and yet, and, and, and they do that for their careers. And so it's interesting. I appreciate the distinction that you would do that for yourself. Um, and since part of the show is really designed to be able to educate as well as, as as inspire, I'm guessing that some of the people that have tuned in are are aspiring entrepreneurs. 
So I'd like to be able to tap your your brain and hear what you think. So what are the top reasons people choose to become an entrepreneur? You know, I think that if you ask somebody who is uh, just looking to go out and, and try uh, and see what it's like to be an entrepreneur, they're probably seeking freedom, some semblance of independence or security. Maybe they're wondering in their minds, do I have it? Or are they kind of tired of that day job? Uh, a lot of folks, maybe they have that job that uh, they're not passionate about, but they see themselves going through the motions uh, of just doing it because that's what you have to do to make ends meet. Uh, or, you know, just as myself, some people may find themselves in kind of a corporate career track that you just don't like and you don't feel like that you can change it. Uh, and you don't feel like that you have the means through the corporate life to really make that change for yourself. Uh, I think those are all compelling reasons why why people decide to become entrepreneurs. And certainly the reason why I did was to kind of break those chains of habit. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to discover when I was relatively young, you know, 24 years old, uh, to realize that then, you know, of course, where the risk profile on a young person is much different than a risk profile for someone with a mortgage, uh, a car, and, and a couple of children along the way. Uh, and uh, that all comes back home to, uh, do I feel like I can do this? I'm going to give it a shot. And do you, you have a suitable plan B for if things don't work out? What is that backup plan? Mm-hmm. You know, you're also reminding me of something else, Brian, that I want to share as I as I think about and reflect on my own research. I, I've over the years researched, I guess I've interviewed 140 people specifically in my research to discover how they ascribe meaning to the work that they do and what does that work mean to their sense of self or identity. And I'm now recalling when I interviewed a young man, would have been in his early 30s. He was at the time employed in the IT space and he had this thing inside of him, Brian. He was so bent on, on and on fire. He was working in a corporate job and he said, I am just, he says, I know that for me, work is the thing that I want my life to stand for. And I need to know that I'm made of the same stuff of my, that my father was, who was a very, very successful entrepreneur and also a surgeon. And so there's, I think there's also something in some people about this notion of what, how you make something of your life through entrepreneurship. Can you comment on that? I think most of us find meaning through the work that we do. It's why we choose the career paths that we do. Uh, and maybe folks find themselves uh, in a situation where they just have to do it to make ends meet. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, we're going to be at work for a third to a half of our lives. Uh, you know, hopefully you can find meaning in what you're doing, because I think that's really going to be the recipe for what it means to, to, to live a life that you can consider fulfilled. Uh, a lot of talk about, you know, work-life balance in the, in the workplace. You know, for me personally, it's more about how does work and life integrate? Uh, how do I make both of those uh, work together as opposed to this oil and water analogy of there's work and then there's life? You know, for me growing up, essentially my professional career as an entrepreneur, work and life, there was no difference. It, it just was. Uh, and when you find yourself in a career path, being an entrepreneur or, um, you know, uh, at your, your, your day job doing uh, the best that you can at what you're doing, I think that finding meaning in that is going to be something that brings people a lot of uh, kind of uh, mental satisfaction. Absolutely. And of course, that is an, a huge reason why I host this show every single week is, is to try to help people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work. And I also know that there are an, there's an abundance, there's a spectrum of meaning that I that I discovered in my own research. So there's lots of ways to find meaning, which I think I, sh I hope that our listeners find to be encouraging for themselves. Absolutely. 
So one of the other things I wanted to pick your brain on, Brian, I've been really fascinated with this whole relationship that we hear that the unemployment rate in the United States is currently at like 3.8%, something it hasn't been in for like years. And I'm really interested in your perspective on whether you think more people start a business when the economy and jobs are good versus not, what that number really means to you. I'm just curious about your your perspective on that with relation to entrepreneurship and, and jobs. I think it's harder to make the jump when the unemployment rate is so low, when the job market is so wide open, because uh, the the risk is just different. You know, uh, you know, you you hear the phrase "necessity is the mother of invention." You know, that's certainly where a lot of great companies were founded was out of that need uh, to make something happen. Certainly, with a more sour economy where the unemployment rate is higher, maybe this is the only alternative. Is you know, I've struck out on a couple of job interviews, but you've got to make those ends meet. So, what can you do to innovate? What can you do to bring a service or a product to market? Certainly, services are easier than products. You know, we all we're all innovators in our own way, making small. Uh, meaningful changes in our lives that that are different from anybody else. That's we all innovate. So how do you take that, can it, put it in a presentation and start a company out of it? Uh, but with the relative economy the way that it is right now, I think that it's much easier, uh, or I'm sorry, much harder to to go out and uh, give up the maybe cushy corporate job with the great benefits for a zero dollar salary and no benefits. Hmm. Yeah, I think it really takes it takes a real leap of faith, and or or this maybe the notion that somehow they've got something that they can provide fairly soon that's of value or needed or necessary in the marketplace. Again, though, you know, such a perspective. I was chatting earlier this week with a gentleman who just he just out of the gate, like you, he was very 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 young in his early twenties, and he hit the jackpot on being able to to find a niche offering in the healthcare space. And, you know, he gave me a perspective about, you know, it's all about your lens on how you see things or, you know, and, and that includes how you look at risk, how you look at opportunity, how you look at positioning into the marketplace. Any perspective on that? No, I think that I don't have uh, much of a perspective above what you just said there because I think it's really spot on. It's really about execution at that point in time. If you've got an idea, you've got a, a innovative solution, how do you bring it to market? What do you do? Uh, who are those first customers? And have you gone through the appropriate routes of doing customer discovery? Have you validated that idea? And what are the meaningful steps that you can take that may be small but point you in that direction where you have your compass aligned with what those goals are? Mm, great. So I want to talk a little bit about leadership because certainly with regard to being an entrepreneur, whether you're you're going completely solo or whether you bring a, a team with you, there there certainly is an element of leadership. So before I got really involved in coaching executives as I do today, I spent a lot of years coaching men and women at the individual contributor level who who were really just starting to go, maybe go into a, a, a manager role or wanted to. And they were really wondering, is there a leader in me? And if so, how can I develop that leader? Um, so it gets to that uh, that age-old question of leaders being born or made. And I'm wondering, you know, in your own world of entrepreneurship and experience, um, can first do you, what's your what's your take on you know are leaders born or made? And then I want to bring that over to to entrepreneurs as well. It's a really good question. I think it kind of it goes back to is it nature or is it nurture? And it's yep. probably above my pay grade to kind of say definitively one or the other. Uh, whereas maybe it's more born than made or ma- made than born. I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's possible given the right circumstances that regardless of what the answer to that question is, there's there's ways to achieve that, become a leader, become an entrepreneur. Uh, it just may be more difficult for some than it is for others. Mm-hmm. 
My take on it, and maybe this is just simply because this is the space I work in. I work in the space of development and consulting, right? So I, I, I gotta believe from the vantage point that of the services that 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 I offer over the years, that that leaders can be made. Now, to a certain, you know, to what degree we don't know, but I think they certainly can be developed. Um, now, I'm not so sure, maybe I about what that might be for entrepreneurship. Do you think entrepreneurs are born or made? You know, again, it, it kind of goes back to the same thing, but I do want to share a, a quick story on things that we all can do for the next generation. Is that at home, I've got a, a couple of children, an eight and a four-year-old, and my eight-year-old approached me, and he sees both his mom and his dad are entrepreneurs. We work a lot of hours, and he said, uh, Dad, I want to get a job. And it gave me this, this quiet satisfaction that he's asking this question. Uh, he certainly doesn't need to work or anything like that, but he wanted to make money. And I said uh, to, to him, I said, Ethan, this is uh, the first lesson I'm going to give that I really hope you remember is that you don't have to wait for somebody else to pay you. You can make money. Now, growing up in a, in a relatively um, you know, lower middle class uh, family in the East Coast, North Carolina, I, at the age of 12, had a couple of full-time jobs during summers to pay for you know, leisure time activities that I wanted to undertake. It was up to me to provide those things, and I got, I think the federal minimum wage back then was $4.15 or $4.25 or something like that. But I told him, I was like, you can make your own money. And uh, so he came up with the idea to do a little trash valet service around our neighborhood where he would take the trash from the house to the, the road and then return it after the trash uh, trucks had come. And he had a little sales pitch and he went door to door and there's no experience like going door to door, no matter how young or old, basically saying, I'm going to provide this service, but you're going to pay me this. And he got 10 or 11 customers and he makes his routes, um, you know, once a week. Uh, but it's that experience right there that I think we can do as, as adults for the next generation is so we can instill some principles uh, where they can learn early on. And it doesn't have to be a father or a parent, a child relationship. It can be really any sort of mentoring relationship, but plant those seeds because you really don't know how they'll grow. Uh, to answer your question directly, is it nature or nurture? Are they born or are they made? I'm not sure, but I'm going to make sure that they can be made, that I do my part. You're reminding me fondly, just quickly, Brian, when I was in sixth and seventh grade, I was in a small northeastern town in Oregon called Hermiston, and I'm the oldest of four kids. And I, whenever I wanted I wanted to either amuse myself or I wanted money, I would gather at the gang of, of whatever kids I could find in, in the neighborhood, and then I would grab them all, and, and I would we would go door to door. I would be the person knocking on the door, making the pitch, saying, we can do one of two things for you. We can rake your leaves, or we can wash your car. Which would you like? <laughs> the old Chinese menu. That's a <laughs> sales tactic. It was fantastic, and we would be out there raking leaves. I'm sure it was ridiculous. I'm sure I probably charged something ridiculously small and some, and so they said, sure, what the heck? I've got nothing to lose. Go for it. Right. <laughs> that's the thing, uh, you know, for him, uh, Ethan, it really wasn't about the money. He's pay he's getting paid $5 per month per house, which isn't a lot of money to make eight separate trips, but it really wasn't about the money. Uh, cause he doesn't need the money of course. But, uh, for, for me, it was about that exercise going through the motions, uh, really putting together a sales pitch and, uh, and making that sale. Uh, and for him, he was ecstatic. He got those first couple of customers. He was beaming ear to ear. Now, whether he'll become an entrepreneur or not, I don't know. Uh, but I do want to make sure that, uh, I, as a parent, uh, certainly I'm doing those things to facilitate that if he so chooses that career path. That's awesome. Um, well, speaking of, of what you what you said, your presence, the whole not, the notion of socialization here. So associating with people like the Donald Thompsons of the world that we talked about before, who I know has, has been in, in some way helpful to your own journey. Absolutely. Um, 
I'm interested in also understanding and sharing with our listeners what kind of a profile of a person might you recommend to consider avoiding entrepreneurship and why. So first, you know, there's the association piece of who you're hanging out with. That's one part of the question. And the second piece is, you know, who might actually avoid entrepreneurship? You know, I think it's someone... Um, you have to be really tolerant of extremes and you've got to be a pretty level person throughout extremes because good things happen, bad things happen. You yourself have got to be kind of in between. Uh, you know, certainly risk is one thing. Uh, people who are too risk averse, uh, they may find it more difficult, but it's also on the flip end is you know, the gambler uh, is, is it, they got their work cut out for them too. Those who just go and throw caution to the wind. It's more about calculated risk. You know, what's in between there? Uh, and are you making the right decisions? Are you gambling in the right place? Are you investing in the right places? You know, but aside from having quote unquote it, does your idea have it? Have you validated that? Because certainly it's personality driven when it's a one person show, two person show. But as you grow in scale, it's really got to have some more substance outside of personality to make that work. Mm hmm. Got that. I want to talk more about the association piece, but let's take a quick break first. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Brian Honorio, an entrepreneur who is currently the founder and CEO of Proposa, the best-in-class SaaS solution for building stunningly beautiful proposals in half the time. Brian started his first company, Walk West, a marketing and advertising agency at the age of 24. After scaling Walk West to 35 people, Brian created Proposa based on intellectual property that Walk West had created. He joins us today from Raleigh, North Carolina. We've been talking a bit about his perspective on entrepreneurship and how we can cultivate it. After the break, we'll hear more about his own journey. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Brian Honorio, an entrepreneur who is currently the founder and CEO of Proposa, a best-in-class SaaS solution for building stunningly beautiful proposals in half the time. We've been talking a bit about his perspective on entrepreneurship and how to nurture it. Now we want to get into his own journey. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. So before we get into your journey, Brian, as I mentioned before the break, I, I wanted to say, have you say more about the socialization aspect of being an entrepreneur. We talked about Donald Thompson being in your space. I, I've talked with enough people on the show even who talk about maybe they've got an informal board or they've got an actual board or they've got a, a cadre of people that they, they rely on to be able to bounce ideas off and gain um, ideas from that they don't have their own expertise in. Can you comment on the importance of socialization as an entrepreneur? Oh, I think it's critical. I think that uh, certainly my journey would illustrate that, that, you know, when I started uh, Walk West, uh, the um, marketing and advertising agency, uh, I had spent seven years trying to grow and uh, scale this company with with some success. You know, we had a couple of employees. Certainly, I was proud of what we were doing. Uh, but I met my mentor and our, you know, certainly good personal friend, Donald Thompson, uh, back in 2015, 2014. Uh, and 
when you put two and two together where we're able to feed off of each other and I'm able to get some insight onto the roads I haven't traveled yet, where I can actually mitigate my risk a little bit just by learning from the uh, approaches of those around me. Uh, we were able to triple revenue in 2015 alone, then we doubled it in 2016 and doubled it again in 2017. And it's that kind of explosive growth that's very, very difficult to do in a silo. Uh, because there's questions that uh, that I would have, you know, I put myself back in the situation of being 24. None of my peers had gone through this experience, you know, certainly maybe a few of them had an MBA or so, but living that experience and going through the motions of what does it mean to cut payroll, to make payroll, uh, what do you have to do to make sure that, uh, uh, that, that you're able to you know, maintain your business and grow your business and scale your business. These aren't things that I could get from my natural friend base uh, just due to, to age and time. Uh, so as I got a bit older and we grew the company a little bit, you know, finding that those set of people uh, to make sure that they can fill in your blind spots. Everybody has them. Uh, and it's important that you find a, an advisor or a partner that can fill yours and vice versa. Uh, because again, you know, it's uh, living in the silos bad. Uh, and when you can open that up, I think that's when you really start to experience some positive growth. Mm, I, I can't imagine any other way to do it. And I appreciate how you presence that for our listeners. That was incredibly crisp. Okay, so next, I want to talk about your journey, Brian. So, you know, we already said that you started your first company at age 24, but be, beyond that, I think it's important to let our uh, listeners understand a bit more about where you came from. So, what did you for school? Did you did you go to college? Um, did you well, obviously what did you do before you started your company at age 24? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I did. Uh, I went to NC State University and I graduated with a degree in computer science uh, back in 2004. Uh, and after that, I, uh, having very little financial resources coming from home, I couldn't wait to get out and find uh, the first job that would pay me a suitable amount of money just because I was seeking financial independence and freedom, uh, which is something I'd never had throughout the course of my, uh, my young adulthood and certainly childhood. Uh, that moved me out to Kansas City, Missouri, where I found myself working as a systems uh, engineer for a healthcare company. Uh, I traveled a lot for that job and, uh, you know, travel to a young 21 or 22 year old sounds great until you find out that you're going to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin in the dead of winter. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, certainly Fond du Lac is a, is, a, is a charming place, but it was December and it's cold. And uh, I grew up on the beach of North Carolina. I was n had never felt wind chills that cold before. Uh, but I was living out of an airport, living out of a suitcase. And after some time that gets to anybody, that burnout kind of kicks in. Uh, the Midwest really didn't find it was for me. So I, so I moved back to North Carolina and worked a couple more years as a software developer for a, a hospital here in, uh, in uh, Durham, North Carolina before uh, starting what turned out to be a freelance gig. I took a couple of freelance jobs developing some websites, threw the money in the bank, saved up about $20,000 and uh, you know bid farewell to my full-time day job. And I won't forget that date. It was August 1st, 2008. Uh, that was the last day that I was employed by someone else. Okay, so what made you actually take the leap? You know, uh, it, it's another good question there. And given that I grew up uh, and my nature itself was kind of risk averse, I had to have enough money in the bank just to make me feel comfortable that if I didn't have any sales that I, I could still eat and maintain. But, uh, you know, overall, my life was relatively simple. You know, I, I had uh, was newly wed. Uh, we were renting a small house. I didn't have a lot of, of debt. Uh, so really, it was a chance for me just to, to exercise and, um, and give that whole thing a shot. Now, I mentioned earlier, my last day of the full-time job was August 1st. 
2008. And uh, for those who are old enough to remember, you know, fast forward a month and a half, it was the financial crisis in mid-September, and everything just came tumbling down around me. Uh, made me very nervous, you know, to the point where I picked up the phone. I, I called the old boss man, and I said, "Hey, boss man, that job that I quit. Just kidding. Let's get the band back together." <laughs> and uh, you know, he met me with the news of we filled that job. Good luck. And I, I won't forget it, but I had to, went home that evening, told my wife, I said, we've jumped, it's sink or swim, and there's no other option. Wow, that can be incredibly powerful motiva- motivation for you. So wh- what did you do to make it work? I won't lie. There were times where, you know, I'd, I'd get a gig, you know, it'd be enough to, uh, to kind of tide me over for the next, you know, 21 or 30 days. And I would go through the motion of updating the resume, thinking that it, the, the whole journey had come to an end. Uh, you know, looking back, it's... Um, it's almost kind of an illogical fear, but my biggest fear at that point in time being uh, at that point in my life was admitting to my friends that it, I had failed, that I gave it a shot and failed. Uh, and that kept me going because I didn't want to have that conversation with anybody else that I couldn't make it work. Uh, so somehow, some way, you know, where there's a will, there's a way um, you find yourself in a financial pinch, you go out and you make it happen. And that literally is calling as many people as you can, getting as many references or referrals as you can, and you make that next gig happen. And you, you try to make that snowball effect happened from there. Brian, I want to thank you and acknowledge you for just really being real with us because that, you know, this journey is not for the faint of heart and, and it, for the listeners to recognize that, wow, somebody who has been as successful as you are, went through that some of those troughs is, is really important to be able for them to be able to recognize and evaluate whether this is something they can do and want to do. I've never met an entrepreneur that hasn't had those pinches, those troughs, and they're they can be low moments, you know, where where even things such as self doubt can kind of creep in. Uh, to those who can take that little bit of self doubt and turn it into a motivator, as an inspirator to kind of push harder and go further. Uh, you asked a question earlier about what does it take to be an entrepreneur, and that's certainly if if you're the type of personality that can do that, uh, you've got a great chance at success. Mm. The word that comes to mind is what Angela Duckworth put out there, which is grit. It's a great word. That's what it is. You've got to get your hands dirty. You know, you may uh, call yourself CEO, and certainly you are, and there's no taking that away. If you've went out and started your own thing, you are the CEO, but you're also the janitor and everything in between. Uh, and <laughs> that means getting in the trenches. That means, uh, you know, you, there, there's literally no point in a day where you can say, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, stepping back then, we were, we were actually in the trenches of, of starting this business. Now, if we can kind of step back as looking, looking backwards from it being successful, I'm interested in hearing how, what was your strategy to actually develop that agency such that you scaled it to 35 people? You know, I, I think that the strategy was, again, it, it's hard work finding the right people to surround yourself with hiring really, really well. And that's something that uh, that I say we at this point in time, because this is certainly after we scaled and uh, as the company grew, it became less and less dependent on me. And it, it became more of, a, of an entity of itself. Uh, and that's a good moment when you can sit back and think about a company that you'd started, where really your input was five or 10%. And uh, the, the company that you created around you, the people that you, that you gave positions to, um, were doing their job far better than you could have. Uh, and you kind of take a... a, 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 a um, step back and you kind of look at that and you think, wow, you know, that's when you really have done it. Whatever it may be is that when it's kind of its own little thing that can live and breathe as if it's a person itself and it's just going along and it's trucking along. That is so great to distinguish that, Brian, right? Because there's the notion of what people say, well, just kind of like just what you said, you went out and you you were building websites on your own and getting gigs. That's very, 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 very different than building a company that 
that now becomes an entity of itself and breathes almost as if it was it was on its own. That's very distinct. Yeah, you know, what we considered gigs in the early days had turned into massive contracts in, you know, 2017 and 2018, where we're doing a lot of work for some government agencies. We're going through the RFP processes uh, for educational institutions and healthcare institutions, and we're winning. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's putting the right team together. And as, as you grow in scale, uh, the value of a great employee is like double their salary. Uh, but the, um, uh, the liability of, of maybe some that aren't as great is, is kind of double their salary as well. So you've really got to look, you got to refresh find who you're working with uh, and, and make sure that you surround yourself with the right people because it really is make or break. A 35-person company, it feels big to me because that's the biggest company I've ever you know, been a part of. But uh, you think um, you know, one sour apple or so can certainly spoil the bunch. Mm-hmm. For sure, especially for that, for that size. Now, WalkWest is still completely functioning, yes? It is. It's still in okay. service. Uh, okay. so walkwest.com and uh, it, it's doing well and uh, I'm still a part of the board of directors there and very involved uh, you know with uh, kind of corporate governance and, and uh, some day to day but not much anymore okay got it well that brings me to my next question so I, I know that you launched Proposa early this year I'm interested in sharing how the idea for the offering came, came to be and how did you actually start you know, it was uh, building a lot of websites, going back to that back in 2014. Uh, I had an idea that uh, why were we still sending PowerPoints like every other company was sending? You know, certainly our PowerPoints look good, but they were just another PowerPoint deck uh, proposal in the middle of uh, a stack of, of so many others. So I had an idea and we got a, a group together over a weekend to build out a prototype that we kind of dubbed the proposal engine that would allow us to put our proposals on a website. Uh, and for me, it was about validating that we could do what we said we could do. You know, we were pitching you web design and development services, and here we are giving you a proposal on a website. Um, so back in 2014 is really where the roots for proposal lied. Uh, and again, it was one of those precipitators for scale. You know, we started winning seven out of every 10 um, uh projects that we were betting on and it wasn't slowing down and allowed us to grow very very rapidly over the course of 2015 16 and 17 you know it's to the point where our prospects that we had sent these proposals to uh they had turned our clients and you know inevitably three months later they'd come back and say hey that proposal that you sent us which software did you use because we want to use it too you know, then I'd explain that it was a back office tool that we created for ourselves, uh, but that conversation became increasingly common uh, to the point where Donald Thompson, you know, business partner of mine that you mentioned, we got together in 2017 and said, we've got to do something about this because what we're hearing is customer demand. There's a hole in the marketplace that we could fill. We just got to have the guts to go out there and do it. Hmm. What a concept, listening to what's out there and floating in terms of need and, and answering or solving that problem. What a, what a concept. <laughs> you make it sound so simple, Brian, but that, that makes complete sense to me. It, it really uh, is. It comes down to uh, what are your customers saying? You know, there's there's opportunities for innovation in everything that you do, uh, be it an entrepreneur or or not. You know, what are you doing? What are your customers, your people around you saying that you're doing that's different? What do they want you to do differently? Those are all kind of micro concepts of being innovative. And that's certainly where Proposa had its birthplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had a chance to to look at your your uh, demo offering on on YouTube, which is great. It's easy to follow. I'm, but I don't know anything about this space. So, what differenti differentiates you in the marketplace with this product? What makes, what distinguishes you? Is another way to say that. 
Well, we've been selling the same way for two and a half decades. You know, back in the mid '90s, people were sending PowerPoint decks as proposals, uh, and here we are in 2018. We're still sending PowerPoints uh, um, as proposals. We want to stop that habit because what happens once you send a PowerPoint out as an email attachment? It's kind of gone. Poof. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, have no information about if that proposal was even opened. Was it read? And now that we're sending digital links through Proposa, what you can do is I can find out at least that if I sent you a proposal uh, that you opened it, and that gives me as a salesperson just a piece of information knowing that hey you got it you've opened it uh but also it'll give me kind of a heat map showing what you're looking at a lot what you're looking at a little maybe skimming over and the purpose is to be as relevant as possible to the person that you're trying to create a partnership with is that you know if if you're relationship driven you may be spending a lot of time on our team section of our proposal if you're a, a a price conscious buyer, you're probably concentrating a lot on the pricing table. And those little pieces of information are actually really, really valuable in helping you really start to sell better and smarter as opposed to just sending that PowerPoint deck out again that you did the previous, you know, five or 10 times. That's incredibly exciting, Brian. That is incredibly exciting. I did notice that, that you do call that out in the, in the tutorial or the demo. You do call that out. It's, it's, and I didn't, and I understood the importance of it, but the way you just brought it to life there is, is really, really adds some color for me. Well, as an executive as uh, for a marketing and advertising company for the, you know, the past 10 years, you know, there's no lack of data in the marketing space, especially digital marketing. I can tell what click-through rates are, what your engagement rates are, which campaigns are right side up or upside down in terms of ROI. But in sales, it's send a PowerPoint and wait. And we just knew there had to be a better answer to that. How can we apply some good digital marketing techniques, apply those to sales proposals, and start to, to really help and enable either sales individuals or sales teams uh, sell better, smarter, and faster? Sounds good to me. <laughs> I think everybody, everybody, whether they really embrace it or not, is a salesperson. Some of us more so than others, of course, right? Um, and, and to that end, I'm really interested in, in your, your strategy to, to develop and grow this business. Have you, do you have a plan in place or, or you're just pedaling your bicycle so fast to start that we haven't gotten there yet? Where, where are you in that plan? You know, we certainly have a, uh, have a plan in place. And one of those things I talked about earlier was filling your blind spots. You know, for me, the vast majority of my career was in the services space, not the product space. So one of the first things I did is I got a board of advisors and I got some very good qualified people who lived in the product space to sit there alongside me to kind of sanity check my decisions. Um, and, you know, one of the things we found out very early on was, um, you know, we're selling a solution to a problem that people don't know they have. You know, they're not looking for the solution. We have to educate them that there's something else that's out there that you can do it better and differently. Uh, so it's really changing consumer habits uh, and informing the world out there that there is a better alternative than just the same old status quo. Mm. Really sounds great, Brian. I'm finding this conversation very inspiring. I thank you for that, and I hope our listeners are as well. This is a good time for uh, our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Brian Honorio, who is an entrepreneur, currently the founder and CEO of Proposa, a best-in-class SaaS solution for building stunningly beautiful proposals in half the time. Brian started his first company, Walk West, a marketing and advertising agency at the age of 24. After scaling Walk West to 35 people, Brian created Proposa based on intellectual property that Walk West had created. He joins us today from Raleigh, North Carolina. We've been talking a bit about his own entrepreneurial journey and how he started Proposa. After the break, we're going to hear about his lessons learned. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Brian Honorio, an entrepreneur who is currently the founder and CEO of Proposa, a best-in-class SaaS solution for building stunningly beautiful proposals in half the time. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Brian, what I'd love to have a showcase, and I, I so appreciate you're already a very real and accessible, authentic human being, so I'll appreciate what it, whatever it is that you share. Uh, I want to move on and have you talk about maybe two or three of the really viable lessons that you've learned as you've gone through your entrepreneurial journey and, and how they've helped you become more effective in business today. You know, I've got two, and uh, I hope uh, we're not beating a, a, um, a drum here, but uh, the first one is find a mentor. I, I can't tell you the difference that, uh, you know, uh, early in my career as an executive, you know, running things solo and running things with a team, there's such a big difference. And people are out there are ready and willing to help. You know, certainly I've gone through uh, the bruises of, of general warfare here with starting and growing a business. And certainly when folks approach me and ask questions, I am more than happy to open up like a book uh, and letting people know, don't do this, do that instead. If you have any questions, email me, call me, text me. Uh, because really, it's kind of that responsibility. It's it's a close knit community uh, where they they talk about founders' courage a lot. For people who go out and they make that leap and they make that jump, uh, there's certainly a camaraderie around that. And uh, I certainly want to help as many people as I can uh, because I realized I didn't get here on my own and I had the help and the hand of a lot of people along the way. Uh, so that that really is lesson number one. Don't try to go it alone. You probably are special, but you're not that special. Uh, so just make sure <laughs> you got a backup plan there and you find some qualified people to go your corner. Um, but the second uh, is is the lesson that's been a hard one for me to, to learn over time, and really it's, it's been try, fail, adjust, try, fail, adjust, has been the concept of running towards problems, not away from them. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the idea may creep in your head that you can sweep this under the rug, be it a, a financial issue, maybe it's a client service issue, maybe it's something in between, uh, but that you can sweep it under the rug and it just, just goes away. And those things never go away. Uh, to really be a successful entrepreneur, to be a, a successful business leader, you've got to have that personality that uh, that you're going to put on the fire jacket and run towards the fire as opposed to away from it, which is where everybody else is running. They're running away. You've got to run towards and, you know, when you run towards a problem early on, all you do is you buy yourself time to fix it. It's going to pop back up and then you're not going to have the time to fix it. So you might as well tackle it early, tackle it often and tackle it hard. That is great advice, Brian. That is great advice. That idea of running to the problem rather than away from it. I think that's brilliant. Now, I have to dig a little bit deeper on the mentor thing that you said. So when you mentioned the importance of mentors, what I wonder is, did you, was there a time where you went it alone longer than maybe you could have or should have? Or did you immediately latch on and find mentors in your journey? 
I think the course of, of growing Walk West, it, what it really came down to was was burnout, and I was kind of done. Uh, certainly, I was making plenty of money, certainly more money than I'd ever made before. There was nothing wrong with the company, uh, but I just could never go on vacation. I didn't know how to scale to get over that next hump. You know, when I did try to go on vacation, I spent half my days on the telephone trying to solve problems or, you know, fix issues or get a proposal out or get a contract signed or there's always things that you can do. And there came a point in time where I could keep doing it. I could keep going, but I didn't want to because I was doing it alone. Uh, and certainly, uh, I actually found uh, my mentor, Donald Thompson, because I sent one of his companies um, a proposal generated by the proposal engine. And he thought, wait, wait a minute, this is a two or three person company. They're doing things way different than anybody else. I've got to have a conversation with them. Uh, and certainly, Donald and I had a lot of conversations in those early days about how he could help. Uh, and at that, point, at, at that point in my career, I just looked at it and said, what do I have to lose by, uh, by bringing a partner to help growth, uh, grow and scale? Because he He's been there and done that. I really didn't have much to lose other than giving it a shot. And if it didn't work, you know, I, I could certainly find myself gainfully employed with the experience I had built over the, the previous you know, six or seven years at that point in time. Two things I want to say about that, Brian. One is the importance of scaling, finding a way to scale. I, I hear so often, and I've had many people on the show talking about this, When you, once you can actually find that way to scale, your world changes dramatically. If you're, if everything depends on you and your decision or even your move, um, or it's a you know one-to-one ratio between you and time, you're in big trouble. So I really appreciate how you distinguish that for us. Oh, I can go a bit deeper with that as I think that a lot of folks that have small companies, they consider them lifestyle companies. Uh, I don't consider small companies lifestyle companies because you're chained to that telephone. Uh, it, it's You can't break away because you are the company. And those situations work fine for a lot of people. It worked out great for me for the longest time. But there came a point in time where I had to make the decision, do I want to scale? And if I don't, then how can I systematize this a bit more so it's, it's not so dependent on me? Uh, but the answer for me was, you know, still relatively young. I want to give this whole scale thing a shot. And uh, we certainly did that. We grew from a couple of employees to 35 in two and a half years. It's so admirable, and, and and I wish I would have met you years ago, Brian, when I and a business partner started a, a small online feedback portal for the human resource space. It was called Improved Experience, and we did this in, ready, drumroll, please, 2006 to 2010. Yep. And let that fall off the edge of the cliff, shall we? But if I, if we would have, we were in the process of building a board of advisors toward the end. And had we done that much sooner, I think we would have been in much better shape and maybe found a way to remain relevant through that recession and such that because our, our product depended on people getting hired to use it right in the middle of the recession. So, but there were probably were other things that we could have done to be able to address the market space that would have allowed us to remain viable and, and, and handle those sort of things while the market recovered. And we just didn't have the, 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 the wherewithal or the space or the forethought to consider that option until later in the process when by the time it was too late. Yeah, everybody works hard, you know, especially when you have your own company, your own product that you're working towards. It's not a question of work ethic. It's really about working smarter. And can you find people to surround yourself with? Uh, and again, I cannot go back on it any uh, and you know say it any more than how critical it is to make sure that you that you find yourself a person that, that can be a confidant, that you can talk about business issues just to help you see uh, over the trees a little bit. When you're in it, you can't see the forest because of the trees. You got to pull back a little bit. And sometimes it takes another human being uh, to, to create that tug. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in hearing what does your work mean to you and in your overall life? 
I think there's a satisfaction, certainly, that I'm sitting here now in, in my mid-30s, and uh, I've been to this journey now in my second company. There's, there's a big satisfaction that goes along with that. Uh, but really, the meaning is not in, in finances or anything else. It really comes down to the people that I've surrounded myself with over the past 10 years. Uh, I mentioned earlier, this is not a solo act. You know, This is, this is a band, and uh, any one piece outside is not going to create that, uh, that chorus that you need. Uh, the meaning really has been the relationships I've developed, the customers that have trusted me with our business, those really early ambassadors who did nothing but speak my name in all the right places. Uh, I didn't get here alone, and um, certainly paying homage and thanks to those folks uh, along the way because it's, it's been an exciting journey. Uh, and looking back, it's, it's one that, um, that you don't want to take alone because I think it can be a lonely journey for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I heard a couple things in that. I heard achievement. I heard uh, connection. I heard the the privilege of being trusted by by others, people who helped you and went out of their, their way to help presence you in the marketplace. Uh, and it's interesting that you set aside immediately the, the financial piece. Yeah, because I think that that's not necessarily meaning. That doesn't bring meaning to a lot of people. Uh, that certainly the lack of finances can create strife. It can create uh, discontent. It can create a lot of stress. Uh, and certainly, I'm not uh, what you would consider "quote unquote" rich. But you know, having enough to live on helps out. Uh, that you can start concentrating on the other things around you. Because I think that when you find meaning, it's not in necessarily in things. It's in people. You know, I come to the office every day and I see people that I've uh, that have been with me for years. And uh, those are the those are the true trusted partners that you develop over time uh, that um, that really help to grow where the sum of two parts is, is um, greater than the whole or the mm-hmm. whole is greater than the sum of two parts. Mm-hmm. I got that. Really quick on the money piece. Um, what I've learned by interviewing people is that money means different things to people. For some people who grew up without very much of it, when they do have some of it, it, it gives them security. For other people, making a good living, whatever that is, gives them a sense of pride because they're 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 providing for people that they love. So I've really come and there's just a whole other spectrum of things that fall all over the place and the, it, there's power in that for people. There's all kinds of stuff. So what I've learned by researching meaning about money is really fascinating, really really intense and deep. You have a specific ascription to it and as do I. Um, but I just wanted to distinguish that for our listeners in case that wasn't quite it for them. Absolutely. I think that for me it's 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 always been about security. Is there enough? Yeah, you know, certainly not to, to go out and have three houses, but is there enough for me to get by and make sure my, my kids are taken care of and make sure payroll clears because that's a pretty important piece. Absolutely. And that goes back to the trust piece, right? And, you know, for right. Okay. So that's why I wanted to kind of deepen that a little bit, just because it having been a researcher for as long as I have, I just know there's a lot to it. No, indeed there is. Okay. So I want to ask you maybe just two more questions. We're almost out of time here. Um, yeah, and you may have already gotten to this, but I want to give you the chance to answer this specific question. What are you most proud of in your journey as an entrepreneur? Um, self-satisfaction that I was able to do it. You know, mm-hmm. what, what plagued me early on was that self-doubt and that nagging fear that I'd have to open up to my friends on bar night. Uh, you know, when I'm 25 years old saying, hey, I gave it a shot, but it didn't work out. Now I'm going back to work for somebody else. I didn't want that. Uh, and it actually kind of horrified me. I, I'm, I'm kind of downplaying a little bit, but those are the things that kept me up awake at night early on. Now, certainly there were challenges that kept me up, uh, you know, later in my career, they, they kept me up at night and, and had me thinking where I couldn't sleep. Uh, but that was the early one. And kind of looking back over the, the, the past, you know, 10 or 11 years, it really has been that satisfaction of, of doing it. Uh, and certainly the pride that I have, I have had in, 
and building two companies. It's, it's something that uh, not a lot of people do, and I'm certainly proud that I am. Uh, and I just want to make sure that when there's an opportunity, that I have an opportunity to, to work with younger folks who are considering the same path. And where can I play my part in, uh, in the same way that some other folks have played that part for me? That's great, Brian. That's really beautiful. And I really appreciate that, what you shared about not wanting to tell your friends, look, I, I, I gave it my best shot, but it didn't quite work out. <laughs> and and then the motivation that comes from wanting to avoid having to say that. I really got that. So in our last little bit of time here, I, I like to be able to give you the last word here. Um, you know this show is about helping listeners across the globe more meaningfully connect with their work. What would you like to leave them with in, say, about 30 seconds? In 30 seconds, I'd say read as much as you can. Read anything and everything that you can that relates to either you personally, professional, or professionally. Uh, and I'm going to say it once more, even though I've done it three times here, but uh, really seek out networks of people within your hometowns, uh, even online or digitally. Folks are out there. They, they want to share their experience. They want to help and get help at the same time. Uh, they're out there and they're available. And it's, I wish it was the thing that I'd done earlier in my career. Beautiful way to finish, Brian. And thank you so much for sharing your 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 wisdom, your experience, and absolutely your passion. You led us into your space in a way that I like to, to share with my listeners, and I really appreciate that, Brian. Thank you. Alisa, it's my pleasure. If you want to learn more about Brian and his team at Proposa and what they're up to, go visit their website. It's getproposa.com. So G-E-T-P-R-O-P-O-S-A, getproposa.com. Join us next week when we talk with Lauren Midgley, and she has just released another book on productivity, something that I think most of us need more of. I'll look forward to the conversation. Join us then. Remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>